folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, before we get into the show, just wanted to remind you that we've got a Jared Allen signed jersey giveaway from Fan HQ going on over on Twitter. If you go to my Twitter page, at Matthew Collar, that's C-O-L-L-E-R, you retweet the post about the Jared Allen signed jersey, follow me if you don't already, and follow at Fan HQ. That's it, and you're registered to win. Fan HQ, by the way, is your headquarters for officially licensed sports apparel, authentic memorabilia, and autograph appearances. If it came from HQ, then it's authentic. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday Morning Left Guard. Matthew Collar here along with former Minnesota Viking and former Buffalo Bill, a sad former Buffalo Bill, mm. Jeremiah Searles. What is up, Jeremiah? Your team's just let you down, man. I mean, my teams have just been brutal. I got the Huskers falling apart at the seams right now. The Bills just couldn't pull it off in the old AFC Championship there. And the Vikings, well, they did the same thing I did. They sat at home and watched. So it's just been a tough – it's been a tough January, Matt. And I just had to shovel about 17 inches of snow off of my driveway (laughs) the last two days. So I know you Minnesotans are like, oh, that's just a Tuesday. But down here in Lincoln, that's not normal. You know, uh, where I grew up in, in Buffalo, there was a lot more snow than there is in the Midwest. Here, the biggest thing that kills you is ev- if everything ices over and it never, ever melts. <laughs> yeah. So the same ice that's there at Thanksgiving will be there in May when it finally disappears. Um, but yeah, I have a driveway in a great spot for plows to fill it with all the snow from the entire street. So I feel you. It is... Um, it's a dangerous act sometimes getting out there and trying to clear snow. So it's been a little bit rough for you. I want to talk about um, the Bills a little bit with you and love to see it, hate to see it. I've got some Super Bowl questions for you. But I want to start out with what I wrote about at Purple Insider today, which was the defensive line. And I've got some breaking news for you, Jeremiah. The numbers on the defensive line were bad. when I started, Don't say. I know. When I started to really investigate all of the final numbers and put them together, it really struck me how many players that had previous experience with this team that they had a chance to evaluate that they put on the field and played 600-plus snaps and gave them very, very little. Uh, Jaleel Johnson was 71st out of 71 defensive tackles. Jalen Holmes, zero sacks after moving back to defensive end. I mean, this thing, this thing needs a lot of work. So I want you to tell me from two different scenarios, 
One scenario is Hunter stays. One scenario is Hunter goes. How do they get this defensive line back to where it was a couple of years ago, just even in 2019? Start with if Hunter stays, what should be their route to get it back to being very good? Yeah, so if Hunter stays, the, the biggest thing is making sure Pierce is back. Right, You solidify that nose tackle position, the guy that can eat up the double teams, the guy that can push the pocket in the middle on pass protection. And then the number one concern is you've got to go get yourself a badass three technique. you got to find a guy that can play the run. I'm not saying you got to find Aaron Donald, but you need to find a guy that can play the run and push the passer at the exact same time. I mean, there's a lot of guys around the league. I think of a guy like Jonathan Allen from the Redskins, right? He's a really solid three technique. I think of a guy, even a guy who's very underrated is Anderson from the Jets, who's up there, who doesn't do anything flashy, but he pressures a quarterback because that was just a big black hole on the Vikings defensive line. I mean, it didn't matter if it was Jaleel Johnson. It didn't matter if it was Shafar Stefan. It did not matter who was playing three technique. They seemed to get run at a lot. So you go find another three technique to plug in there. And then you got to make Afadi another rotation guy. And I don't know if that's meaning that you got to find someone that's a starter full-time in free agency or you spend a second or third round pick in the draft and say, hope he works. But I think the show that Afadi was proven that he was going to be a good rotation guy. Now, could he make the jump to full-time starter? And he didn't this year. And he had every opportunity to do that this year. I think he's still an asset to the defensive line if you leave him in that rotational third down, kind of like the old B-Rob at the end of his career type role. Um, and then you go find another guy that's an every down starter. So I think that you got to replace two guys, two complete starters on there if Hunter stays, and then go from there. Yeah, the pass rush numbers for Afadi were okay. Uh, they weren't like a complete train wreck where mm-hmm. he had zero sacks and zero pressures or anything like that. But against the run specifically, he was thrown around. And I, I think it says that he needs to be a guy who is rotating and, like you said, lining up over guards and, and just being able to pin his ear, ears back and go after the quarterback as opposed to being asked to play every down. But he's an RFA. They should resign him. And yes. I agree that there are no questions really left to ask about him. He's 27 years old like that is what it's going to be but it doesn't mean he can't contribute like we Mm -hmm. saw in 2019 now crazy stat for you and everyone who listens knows my appreciation for tom johnson tom johnson never come on tell me tom johnson's not the man he was the man tom. tom johnson was so great uh, I mean, first, his personality was awesome because he looked like he wanted to fight you just like the way he stood there at his locker. And then you'd go talk to him and he'd give you like really great information, some teaching points and things like that. I'd be like, this is great. You're the man. Uh, but here's why I like Tom Johnson so much. He got after the passer. <laughs> you know, It wasn't just that he was a good interview. He never had a year under 30 pressures. And this year, Shamar Stefan plus Jaleel Johnson was 16. So Tom Johnson was doubly as effective in his average year from what their two defensive tackles were getting after the passer. And and that's they need to find somebody like that. But the issue is, if it's not Christian Barmore, there's nobody else in the first round on any mocks that I see of interior defensive linemen. Mm-mm. And the free agent pool, big shocker here, Jeremiah, teams don't let these guys go. If you get a Chris Jones or an Aaron Donald or anybody who is awesome at that position, you keep them. They so don't leave. Right. So looking through the free agent list, it's a, little, it's a little tough there. And looking through who they have on the roster to develop, it's a bare cupboard. I think they basically have to find another Tom Johnson who comes 
from you know wherever uh you know kind of deep in the free agency pool a late round guy who emerges and surprises them because you just are going to have a really tough time getting your hands on anybody in free agency I think that another thing and we know the Vikings love to do it is you draft a bigger defensive end and move him into three technique which doesn't always work but there are guys that in college I think if a guy like Gostis um, played at Georgia Tech, got drafted to the um, – or Derek Wolf that went to the Broncos, that yeah. the scheme fit – they ran a 3-4, but they're big enough to play that three-technique position, maybe not 600, 700 snaps a year, but 400, 450, where they can do some effective things. And in, in then obvious run situations, you have a Shamar Stefan, you have a Michael Pierce that you put in. But I think that that's not a terrible way to go, um, is to look for these schools that run this 3-4 scheme in college where they're big defensive ends, but really they're playing – like a four technique right over the tackle so you mm-hmm. slide them one gap down doesn't make a ton of difference there and I think there's some teams in the NFL too that run that three four where they're listed as defensive ends but you can make them defensive tackles fairly easy did not work so far for James Lynch that's a thing no. that they're trying to no. do a little on the light side for that getting yeah. picked up and you still got to be at least 270 265 270 yeah. I mean if, if you're under 275 you best of luck one of my favorite things about James Lynch was that his initial weightlifting at Baylor was like 250 or something, and then it became 280 or 290, and I did not see a 290-pound human being when he was playing this year. There is nothing more fraudulent in sports than player weightlifting. I mean, <laughs> I, I've stood close enough to that uh, the, the scale that's in the middle of the locker and be like, oh, okay, you weigh about 15 to 20 pounds less or more sometimes than that uh, than it says no on your weightlifting. Yeah, I couldn't come up with too many really good options for them, though. Uh, Tyrone Crawford, Shelby Harris, Malik Collins. What do you think about Solomon Thomas? I mean, he's he would be like a reclamation project. Yeah, I don't like I don't like Solomon Thomas. He's too small. Yeah, I think I think he's too small. You're going to run into the same issues. He can rush the passer, but I mean, the problem is if we can't stop anybody on the run, we can't rush the passer. Um, I think that's a big reason, too, you saw the sack numbers being down this year is we let the people run all over us for a lot of the time. So the third downs were third and fours, third and threes, not the third and 11s, third and 12s that we're used to seeing with this defense, which really does help ratchet up pressure numbers. So this actually might be the best strategy for the Vikings, and um, I don't know how much I would love it, but in terms of getting talent out there is to get another giant guy who stuffs the run and then have a Fadi Adenabo play on those third down and longs. Not a bad so idea. Not, not Shamar Stefan, who's okay against it. I mean a huge guy. I mean two giant nose tackles that are both <laughs> 330 pounds, and you put them both in the middle and you say, be fat, guys. I mean <laughs> – I really think that this is an effective strategy if you can't do the other thing. If you don't have a three technique who's going to get 30, 40, 50 pressures in a season, your best option is to sign the fattest guy you can and just completely clog up that middle. You better have another defensive end that can pass rush besides Hunter then. Right. You can't, and we're going to get can't, that. You can't just have Hunter rolling and then two big boy Volkswagens sitting in the middle <laughs> and then the guy just rolls out of the pocket every time. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And that's the other thing is now the guy that I have my eye on here is Ryan Kerrigan. I think Ryan Kerrigan He's is well. a, exactly a B-Rob yeah. type where uh, – well, sorry. I just did the – You're uh, doing it. You're banging. Football. Yeah, get fired yes. up. Um, so, but uh, – I think, you know, his role kind of diminished because they drafted all these guys in Washington. 
Um, and so he didn't really have that big role on football team last year, but you know, I think he's the perfect kind of fit of a veteran who would be affordable and then you can draft the guy. Yeah, I like Kerrigan. He brings a lot. I mean, he's getting up there to the edge of his career, so I don't necessarily know. Can you look at him and say, hey, can you be a full-time starter at defensive end for us? Because I think that's what we are in the market for is a guy that can play, I mean, majority, 85%, 80% of the snaps of a game. Right, right? that's too much for him, yeah. And I think that's too much for Ryan Kerrigan. So you can say, okay, we're going to do that and then draft a guy that can spell him. But you better spend a high draft pick on a guy like that. then. Right. And, and there's a lot of positions that you're looking at like, we need high draft picks here. And so, I mean, I don't necessarily know if that's the one you're going to go spend a second first round pick on or whatever it might be. So I, I, I don't love – I think that's a great if you can get him in low veteran and you can use him as that, as that guy to rotate in there. But, man, I'd have to take a big, bigger peek at the free agent market for a guy that could be a legit full-time starter at defensive end and not cost us $50 million. Right. Well, this is the problem. So my list of those guys were Justin Houston, Kerrigan, Alden Smith, Alex Okafor, Marcus Golden. I mean, these are not great players. These are kind of rotational type of guys. And then you would presumably have to draft one in the first round, uh, Gregory Russo maybe, or mm. uh, Quiddy Pay if he's available. And you put those guys in a rotation where they're kind of working in and out. Because if this is the Hunter uh, you know, scenario where he stays, that means he's going to make a lot of money. So you can't right. afford to throw a ton of cash at that position, but you also can't say, Hey, Gregory Russo, go handle that whole thing and play, you know, 80% of snaps in the NFL right away. That's not going to work for you either. Um, but it, in terms of the not Hunter situation, there are some names who are out there in the free agent market, Melvin Ingram, Olivier Vernon, Carl Lawson, Shaq Barrett, uh, Romeo Aquara. Like you have some guys who are among that upper tier who will get you. Shaq Barrett really impressed me the other day. Um, so if they do decide to move Hunter, you can replace it in free agency. I think this would hurt for fans to see Daniel Hunter go, but he's got a lot of value if they're going to trade him. And there are other dudes who can fill this position. You could probably get two of them for the price of what Hunter wants. Right, and I think that if that's really – if Hunter's going to put him between a rock and a hard place, I think the Vikings have to make a decision to move on because if you pay Hunter what he's going to want, I mean, you're not looking at zero cap room to fill a lot of needs. Mm-hmm. This would be one thing if it's like we have to keep Hunter because we just made it to the AFC champion or NFC championship and right. like we got to just keep everyone that we can. It's like uh, we won six games or seven games or whatever it was, and we got a lot of issues and a lot of spots. Like We can't afford to just throw this money all at one person, even if he really is the face of the defense. I mean, you got Harrison. I saw some of us them saying, we're going to make Anthony Barr a rush end. Don't do that. Don't don't do that. Please don't do that. that, that comes that's up a, all the time. That's Every offseason. Really that that's up. a really waste of a talent to just say, hey, you, just go rush the passer. He can do too many things on the back end. Um. Anyway, sorry, sidetrack. But I think that if you're going to cut Hunter, you have to at least get a first-round pick for him at minimum. I mean, I'm talking first-round pick and maybe some cash too. Yeah, yeah. Like first-round pick plus some to, to help fill that void of whatever you're going to have to eat to then go sign someone else. But teams will pay for it, but I'm trying to think of teams that – are like that's the missing piece for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more like uh, I need a wide receiver or I need a quarterback or like it's hard for I think for teams to justify unless it's Khalil Mack, right? And no offense to Dill Hunter, but he's not Khalil Mack. He, he's close. He's in that class, but Khalil's still just a different type of player. The one team I could think of that might 
consider this would be Indianapolis, who has the cap space. Oh now they're going to have to figure out their quarterback situation. Yeah. So that DeForest might end Buckner. up being... DeForest Buckner and Daniil Hunter on the same defensive line. They have right now $64 million in cap space. So they could... There are only a few teams that could do something Deshaun like it. Watson. I mean, yeah, well... Um, In the division, though, so they're not going to do that. Um, But the the Patriots also have $57 million in cap space. So there are some teams um, that could do it, but there are not a lot of teams that could do it. And that's the problem. It's not like you can create this big bidding war. If the salary cap was going way up Mm -hmm. after this year, then you probably could. But the top defensive end, and this is the report that Hunter wants to be paid like the top defensive end, the top guy makes 27 mil a year. I mean, there's no like fiddling with the cap to make that not really expensive. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, year one, we'll make it. No, it doesn't really work that way when the guy wants 27 mil a year. So it is a difficult spot. If he goes, you could chase big fish, and I would still put defensive end at the top of the list for them to draft because you want to create that bookend type of situation. I would also say as a little aside, if you trade Hunter, it's sort of like, Oh, maybe you could have used Yanni Kingakwe. That's a joke. I'm kidding. They, he, <laughs> You're he, the worst. He wasn't. He he You're wasn't a good fit. But like, ah, the, now you got none. You thought you had two. I mean, if they trade the new Hunter, do they go full fire sale and just start trading away and saying like, hey, if we can get rid of Daniil, let's see if we can get rid of Anthony or let's get rid of Harry or Rudy or I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen here if they let that one domino fall. That is really the linchpin to the entire offseason. I agree. Um, because there's a good case for there's a good case for both ways. I mean, there's a good case for hey, let's keep the great players here and build around them because the NFC is so rocky for next year with great quarterbacks leaving. Matt Stafford is going to go. Drew Brees is going to retire. Brady might win the Super Bowl and walk away. So you've got this open door. Who knows even what's going on with Rodgers? So you've got this open door potentially to walk through if you're the Vikings to win. But at the same time, man, there's a lot of draft capital and there's a lot of holes that you need to fill. And there's a lot of cap space you could make and a lot of good free agents that uh, there are very few teams that can really spend like crazy in free agency. So it's like, how maddened do you want to make this offseason? But the one thing is that's very different to keep in mind, like you said, this is not, hey, we got to keep the 2017 team together. This, yeah. this team's already been broken up. So you don't really need to have like, oh, we've got to keep this piece and that piece. Um, now, speaking, you mentioned uh, Kyle Rudolph. He did an interview with Ben Lieber in which he kind of – let a little bit of it out. I don't want to say he let it all out, but he let some of it out about his role and his situation, his contract. And uh, after listening to that, I don't think there's any doubt where this one stands. I think Kyle Rudolph's career as a Minnesota Viking is going to come to an end. They'll probably release him and make $5 million in cap space. But um, I don't, I don't see this going any other way. I don't, it sucks to not even think about Rudy and purple. Um, that, that one, that one's one of those ones that you look at and you're just kind of like, that's, it's not right. Kind of like right. watching Tom Brady in, in red this year instead of Patriots. You're just like, that's not right. But if anyone's earned the right to say how they truly feel and how they really felt about this year, it's Rudy. Um, and so to hear him say some of those things and to look at what he said and to think, man, he's probably gone. I think it's a safe assumption. Uh, he he's always been a team guy. I mean, he's never raised any issues, and so this is really the first time you kind of heard him push back 
a little bit, and I don't think he's ready to hang up the cleats. I think he's going to go and he's going to probably kind of do a Gronkowski chase a ring type thing because he's good enough that with the right fit, he could still be a 50 to 60 catches type of guy a year. I really do believe that um, because of the stuff that he can do. And if, man, you lose Rudy off that, that you're looking at now, Irv Smith and Conklin of like, okay, boys, it's mm-hmm. time to grow up. Like it's time to grow up now. There's no more playing around and sitting behind Rudy's shadow. Like you got to grow up now because the tight end needs to be a huge part of this offense. And they both came along well at the end of last year, but you still, you don't just replace a guy like Kyle Rudolph. You know, we found that this year about how many guys you went, Oh, well, you know, Hey, Xavier Rhodes isn't here anymore. That's okay. Another guy will fill in and uh, not great. Um, You know, Trey Waynes. People gave Trey Waynes a hard time. And no, he was not Stephon Gilmore or Deion Sanders, but it was like, you know, league average is really good and really Mm -hmm. valuable. And so when you compare that to Jeff Gladney, who was in the bottom five in quarterback rating when targeted, there's a big difference there. Um, And and the same goes for, hey, well, Everson, you know, he wasn't the same Everson, so Afadi will be able to do the same. Turns out, not so much. And I feel the same way with Irv Smith. He'll have the opportunity to take that big step forward, and he's got a very unique skill set where he could be a weapon, but it's not like a deadlock guarantee that because this year we saw – at the beginning of the year, no show, then he's got an injury. And then at the end of the year, he comes on and plays really well. It's like, you know, if you're going to be really good, it's 16 games of this. And that was the thing with Rudolph is every single week, you knew exactly what he was going to give you. The thing that I'll just never quite get is why Kirk Cousins wouldn't throw him the ball more. I'll just never get Like, I don't think it was scheme. I think it's just a Kirk thing that he really never trusted a guy who wasn't open. Like that, that is open when he's not open. Yeah, I mean, I think Rudy's one of those guys that he was never going to create five yards of separation with a guy, but he was going to box a guy out and you throw the ball in the right spot, Rudy's going to catch it. And that's just how he was. That's how he always was. And so, yeah, I don't know if it was just the rapport of him and Kirk never really got on there. But, I mean, you go back to 2016 season. I know we're talking five years ago, but, I mean, Sam Bradford literally just plugged that dude the ball over (laughs) and over and over and over again, and it did pretty well for us. So, um, I think that he's going to go again, ring chasing somewhere. He's probably got one or two years left in him would be my guess. And he's going to go give it hell somewhere else. But that's going to be really hard when they finally say goodbye to him because of how mainly I mean what he's done in that community. I mean, what he's done in the city of Minneapolis, the state of Minnesota, the children's hospital, all of that. I mean, Rudy does so much off the field. It's incredible. I want to remind you about our friends at Soda Stick. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping at SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. There's so many great designs, including Chuck Foreman's Spin Doctor shirts, Skull Hats, Straight Cash Homie shirts, and much, much more. And if you are a hockey fan without getting going soon or a basketball fan, make sure you check out all sorts of great designs. Their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on Super Soft super comfy shirts and hoodies you will love it that's sodastick.com s-o-t-a-s-t-i-c-k.com original minnesota sports inspired goods code purple insider for free shipping
Yeah, he's been just a, a staple of the organization for such a long time and seen them go through the ups and downs. Um, so now it's kind of like the whole organization. Um, lots of people, George Payton is gone and Rudolph and the, the, you know, most of the defensive guys. And it's just a, a completely new day um, in a lot of ways for this team. So uh, I want to switch gears, though, and just get your thoughts on what happened with the championship games and specifically what happened to your Buffalo Bills. We kicked field goals. Yeah, I knew it. Yeah, I knew that I you mean, would be on the same page with me. This, like, what are you doing? You can't kick field goals against Mahomes. I know. And and at the game, even I was like, points are points. I understand that, but like against this team, it's just really hard. And I mean, and a lot of it too. I mean, Josh Allen even said at the end of the game, like we settled for field goals, and that's not just saying that the coach did. I mean, the players know that we didn't take advantage of our opportunities and score touchdowns. Like when a co- when a player says we settled for field goals, the player's taking onus on himself of we didn't execute well enough in the red zone to score touchdowns. Right. And I think people saw that quote and were like, oh, Josh is yelling at Sean. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like Josh very much understands where he was at because I promise you there was not a place in the NFL that I went over more situational football than the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott will make sure every player on every one of his teams knows exactly what his philosophy is, knows exactly how he wants to do his things in the red zone, high red, low red. Like that's his gig, Dable too. So they had a plan. And I'm sure that there's a reason that they kicked those field goals as far as what they thought they were going to be able to do on defense and whatnot. But, I mean, watching that game, man, Mahomes is just another level. Yeah. It's just you're watching him live and in person. And it's one thing when you're on television. When you're there and you're looking at the guy, I got to go to the game luckily, and I'm like, this guy just – he does incredible things that no one can ever do. I mean, Milano's got this dude draped around the re- the waist for a sack, and he's falling down and just zips it to Kelsey for a first down. And that's literally – I think that was the player. I was like, we're going to lose this game. Yeah, yeah. Like that's – there's just – there's no way. How do you defend that? I said to my wife while watching that exact play, I know what you're talking about, and I said, there's only five like human beings in all of sports who ever do stuff like this. Like Randy Moss, Michael Jordan, Barry Sanders, like there, there is there's LeBron James. Like there are only a handful of people who do things when you watch where you're just like, that just broke my brain. Yeah. It does, Steph Curry is another mm-hmm. one where you're like, uh, how did you just dribble behind your back and then throw it from 40 feet away from the basket and it goes in? Like, I don't get it. And that's Patrick Mahomes. And I don't know how you stop it. These players, they're just, I mean, they dominate eras. And that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, you got to think of guys. I mean, you watch it, what he does, and you're like, dude, this dude's only in year four, I think. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? It's not like you're, like, watching the greatness of Rodgers. You're watching, like, and you're like, dude, oh, finally, thank goodness he's, dude. Like, no, this dude's just getting started. Like, this dude is going to, like, I mean, if he comes and wins another Super Bowl this year, they'll start talking about will he catch Tom Brady, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the conversation that'll happen. But, I mean, I think a lot of it, too, is the weapons that Andy Reid has surrounded him with. I mean, you got Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman who dropped an early touchdown early in the game too. I mean, that game could have got way more out of control than it did. But if I want to flip gears and look at Josh Allen and the Bills, I think people didn't understand how much Zach Moss getting hurt really eliminated the run game for the Buffalo Bills. Devin mm-hmm. Singletary, I mean, he drops that third down conversion against That's the right, Blitz, yeah. which is a huge turning point in that game. They get the ball, they go down score and take the lead. And and then after that, you saw T.J. Yeldon come in, but you're talking about your third, your third string running back at that point in the AFC Championship, right? right. I mean, yeah. you want if you don't have all your weapons firing when you can, and Breland did a really nice job on Diggs. I mean, Diggs didn't have the big game that he usually has, and 
Chris Jones, as much as I thought that both guards, Feliciano and Ike Bucker, played really well, it, I mean, you can only hold that guy down for so long. Yep. And they schemed blitzes really well at the Buffalo Bills. And, oh, yeah. And they had really good answers all year, but it seemed like Josh may have got a little rattled early in the game, and he just didn't quite have the answers that he usually did against the blitz. I was watching the defense a lot, like pre-snap, their communication on the motions and things like that. And there was one particular play where the linebacker followed a running back in motion, which is usually an indicator for the quarterback. Like, oh, okay, it's going to be man coverage. And then that linebacker blitzed. And Allen was like, what? Like, you just, that just doesn't happen. And I think that Spagnolo is like the low-key MVP of Kansas City. I mean, of course, it takes Mahomes, and they score all the time. But, I mean, in so many games, even against San Francisco, the adjustments they made in the Super Bowl last year, since he's come in there, their defense, it's like if your defense is even average, you're probably going to win a lot with Mahomes. But they're above average because of who's dialing up the plays, and especially, like, Tyron Matthew is a factor every single game, and I think that's in part because of Steve Spagnuolo. Yeah, I agree, and I think that this is, you look at one of this defense, and this isn't going to surprise me if one of these te- if this team becomes the team that people are like, I'll take pay cuts and I'll stay. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because they yeah. have the opportunity to be that special where a lot of these guys have made a lot of money already in their career. Now, if you're going to make it on your first contract, obviously you got to go get what's yours. Right. But if you're going to be on your second contract of a, a veteran player, yeah, I'll take I'll take a small amount of deal if we're going to keep playing for AFC championships and and Super Bowls every year, and I've got the freaking super Superman behind me and Patrick Mahomes <laughs> here, right? right? But uh, one thing to really pay attention to in the Super Bowls, they'll be playing with two backup tackles. Eric yeah. Fisher tearing yeah. his Achilles is not a really good thing, and you want to talk about a defensive line that can get after the pass rusher now? Tampa Bay. I mean, Pierre Paul, Sue Golston. I mean, the list is pretty ridiculous. Shaq Barrett of how these mm-hmm. dudes can get after the quarterback. And Vita Vea was a huge uh, mm. difference maker for them. He played a ton. He pushed the pocket back. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's not going to be a blowout because of that. No. Like, it's not going to be easy for Patrick Mahomes. I, I think it kind of will look like last year where the 49ers were beating the heck out of him mostly throughout that game, and it'll be on um, Andy Reid to kind of scheme up opportunities. I thought it was amazing that Mahomes never had to throw the ball over 20 yards in the air. Like, he didn't have a single completion over 20 yards to just pick them apart and pick them apart. I mean, how do you stop a team that can do anything? Um, before we get to a couple of questions I have about the Super Bowl, uh, Rodgers, how much mm. longer is Rodgers a Packer after this, you think? I mean, he, unless they don't want to pay him anymore, they have no reason to move him. I mean, the dude's going to be the MVP. Uh, the year he had, I mean, he struggled against Tampa Bay, but – I mean, there's a couple missed assignments in that game. You talk about the Singletary one in the Bills game. I mean, the Alan Lazard missing the pick on Levante David for the Devontae Adams touchdown in the corner. It's a huge mental error. It's a four-point play there. And it's amazing when you talk about playoffs and, and especially championships, like every little detail makes the difference. I mean, you could say that about every game, but it seems to get ramped up in the playoffs where mm-hmm. both teams are so good that the one missed assignment or the one missed opportunity can usually make the difference in the entire game. And sometimes you really can pinpoint it to one play. Uh, It's crazy when you look at it. But I think if Rodgers wants to keep playing, Green Bay finds a way to keep him there. Now, if Rodgers is like, I just – I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady's in the NFC now. Like, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, he's I'm gonna out. play at least sixty-four. Yeah, I'm out. Um, then he, they move on and they go with the first-round pick of who they took last year. But I can't see him wanting to leave with the team that they have there and the ability to go back to where they're at again next year, which I think they could. 
I would also be stunned. It would be shocking. Yeah. I don't see them as a team that gets back there, though. I, I think you that don't. no, I think that things get harder. Like when you look at their cap situation, how much they're paying a, a couple of people, you're going to have to let decent players go. I don't know. I mean, when you don't draft well, like like in this playoffs, A.J. Dillon was the only guy from their draft who played for them. Like when you don't draft well, it doesn't catch up with you right away, but it does down the road, as we've seen from the Vikings. Like 2019, their drafting from 2016 didn't matter. This year it did. You know, and I think that will catch up with the Packers. They'll be good. Like they're, they're not, they're gonna not gonna fall apart and go four and twelve. But I don't think they go thirteen and three. I think it's more like a ten and six type of situation. Asking Rodgers to be the MVP again, you know, pretty tough because age catches up with most people that are not named Tom Brady. So uh, let's let's do a love to see it, hate to see it, all Super Bowl edition here. Um, I am just gonna start with love to see it when it is a elite quarterback versus elite quarterback, and we're going to see throwing the ball all over the place, two of the best passing offenses, defensive lines who can get after the passer, so there's going to be pressure. It's going to be difficult. Like, just broadly, the matchup I think is amazing. I think it's a, about as good as you could have asked for for a Super Bowl matchup. Is it? I, I love to see it, that the fact that Tom Brady, as much as I hate to say it, basically told Bill Belichick, I don't need you, <laughs> yeah. and I'm proving it, yes. right? I mean, he really is. He's saying, Bill, you didn't want to let me do my thing, and I love the quote from Bruce Arians during the game where he was like, I let Tom Brady coach. He came from a place that didn't let him do that. It's like, oh, shot, head down, shot, fired, <laughs> right? But I think I love that, again, it's watching the elites, and I know people get tired of him, but I'm actually excited to watch Tom Brady in the Super Bowl for someone not named the New England Patriots. Right? Like I was tired of watching the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and I'm excited to watch Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes. I think that seeing him be elite even away from Bill Belichick is exactly what he wanted to do, exactly what he wanted to prove. And if he wins it, he definitely rides off into the sunset. The uh, great part is that there was a report that came out about Brady's exit a while back, and part of it – was that a lot of the coaching staff for the Patriots thought that Brady's success was largely the scheme, and then he just kind of had to execute it. Uh, that's not how it works, my friends. That is not how it works. It is, is it not amazing? This is my perception as a reporter, but you can tell me as a player. How often coaches think it's them? I, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, I'm not saying they're, they're not brilliant and they don't understand the schemes or how to teach the techniques and all those things that players have to execute, but it's not you. It's never you. It's always, it's always the Jimmy and Joe and not the yep. X's and O. Always, 100% out of 100. Yeah, I mean, you can scheme up the best blitz or the best play known to man, but if you've got someone out there and you don't have 11 guys that can execute it, it don't matter. It don't matter what it looks like on paper. I mean, every coach, every good coach I've ever been around is like, I can't take the rep for you. Like, why do you think <laughs> right. I yell at you on the sideline if you mess it up? Because I know you have to do it right. Right. Um, and then when you have a guy like Tom Brady who's an elite guy, he always. and then you start labeling, well, he's just a game manager. That eats at those dudes. Because yeah. he's like, I'm not a game manager. I'm a game – like, I'm a difference maker. I'm a right. star around me in the scouting report. Like, we have to take this guy away or he will destroy us. And you're seeing that happen with Tom Brady. In no way, shape, or form is he ever or will be a game manager. You could say Peyton Manning turned into a game manager in Denver at the end of his career there when they won the Super Bowl because he did. But I have not seen one thing from Tom Brady this year that's like, nope, 
This dude's just don't turn the ball over, stay within the scheme. This dude's firing that pigskin. It's third and one, and they bomb one to the freaking <laughs> right. end zone, and he right. drops it in the bucket, dude. Yeah, he is an incredible talent. And I mean, I'm going to be sad when he retires. I mean, I will. Just not watching how cool it is to watch him do Tom Brady things is super fun. Most deep passes in the NFL this year, over 20 yards. That's not game man. Well, remember when he had, like, none of them to start with? And everyone's yeah. like, he's done. Right, he's right, done. Right. It's yeah. over. And then yes. he just came out the second half of the year and just lit it up. And, I mean, we always look at things now through the lens of wins above replacement. They had a replacement-level quarterback last year, Jameis Winston, and they went 7-9. Yeah. And now they've got Tom Brady and they're in the Super Bowl. Like there's the difference between a how how much over replacement is he? Can take a seven and nine team, put him in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. is what Tom Brady can do. So yeah, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a game manager or a system quarterback when you have the capability to do that. I uh, hate to see it is that uh Bills fans, as loyal and as wonderful as they are, and uh you um joined their traditions of jumping through a table before the game they get to go home sad again and it's the AFC is going to be a bear going forward it's going to be really tough for them things get harder from here people want to get paid Josh Allen's going to have to get paid and uh, I, I mean I'm happy for my friends in Buffalo who had a fun season but um, my dad was already rationalizing at the end of the game of like <laughs> well you know I mean we've got a lot to build on this was a fun year and I'm like I don't know, man. Hate to see a team missing their one shot is the way I would put it. Their one shot? I think it's their one shot. I think, I think they got it. I think they got two more years kind of like – I mean, so obviously the recipe for success right now is, is winning with a quarterback on a rookie contract, mm-hmm. right? I think you can extend Josh Allen into the point where next year he's still not a huge cap hit. But Diggs is still there. You've got the offensive linemen that are now going to need to get paid. Deion Dawkins is already paid. The big question mark is where if you look at the def- if you look at the Bills, I think that you got to ask what was the difference in this game as to why they couldn't win, and the answer is because they couldn't get to Patrick Mahomes without the rod, without the blitz. Right. Yep. And so I think if you're looking at again, what do they need to fix? I think that they they need to go get a good pass rusher because that division now. I mean, you're talking you've got. Tua or maybe Deshaun Watson in Miami. Um, New England will rebuild, whether it's Cam Newton or or it's no one else. And then the Jets are now they've got I don't know maybe a good team. They have talent. It's just like who's calling the shots, who's at the helm there will make the difference. So I think that again, yeah. Now that you're the first place in the division, you kind of see it like the Vikings in 2018. Like your yep. schedule now is very very hard. Mm-hmm. You're now playing the elites every single week, and it, it's tough. So. I agree. I don't think that next year you'll have the 13-3 and three team like they did this year, but I still think this is a 10 or 11 win team for the next couple of years who can get in the playoffs and then do some damage. I think that a 10-win team is probably right. I'm not saying that they have reached the 2019 Vikings where they're about to let everybody go. They have the pieces that will stay in place. It's just... You almost lost two playoff games at home where Rivers had the ball, the chance to beat you. Lamar Jackson gave you a free interception. Like you kind of got away with some things and a lot of things broke your way this year. You played Ben Roethlisberger at the right time and he gave you a pick six. And it's just, it's very hard to go 13 and three. And it's not like I think they're trash. It's just that it's like, we see this with even good teams where we go, Oh yeah, they'll be right back. And then the next year they're just okay and they get beat in the first round or the second round by somebody great because you're not a two-seed anymore. You're a six-seed. 
something like that. And I, I just think that's kind of how the, the league ends up working. And um, so I, I guess hate to see it, Bills fans who think they're going to be 13-3 and three next year. What's your hate to see it? I think I think my hate to see it is the, the two weeks before the Super Bowl. Oh, you know, I, I mentioned it. I know I mentioned it last week, but I just I already am tired of it. It's like, dude, we should just be playing this weekend to get it over with. Let's move on in life. And like I, the two week build up thing just gets it nauseum, where you're just like, I can't talk about it anymore. To where you're just like ready for it to be over instead of excited for it to start. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, but I do think that this is going to be a really fun game. Uh, I just hate the fact that I have to wait to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, last one before we wrap up. Uh, I'll just say this, that love to see it is usually, and I hope they do this again, NFL Network in the week before the Super Bowl will play all the old Super Bowl recaps that are amazing. They're like, Bart Star against, you know, like – Jan Stenerud kicked the first field goal in Super Bowl history for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I love watching them whenever I can. So I, I love to see those. And I was going to ask you, what is your favorite Super Bowl? Favorite Super uh, Bowl that you ever watched? My favorite Super Bowl is going to have to be when the Broncos won it in, what was that, 98? 99, yeah. 99, the first one, whatever the first one was, because I can remember my father crying, hmm. like, like just in so happy, so much excitement and like out in the street, just like, ah, just yelling <laughs> and like, go, I got to go to the Super Bowl parade and sit on dad's shoulders. Oh, and, that's and, awesome. And like that will always and forever be one of my favorite memories of them winning that game and just how excited everything was in Denver and how cool everything was. Just being a kid and not really understanding the gravity of it all at that point, yeah, yeah. but just how neat it really was of like, cool, this is just something that happens all the time, right? And then, <laughs> right, then they right. do it again. You're like, oh, this is easy. Yeah, right. And then as you get older, you can start to really appreciate what that team did and what that, that Broncos team looked like with going and beating, I think it was the Packers. Uh, it was, uh, let's see, it was Falcons and then Falcons, Packers. Falcons and Packers. Yeah. Like, yeah, so I, I can just, I just remember that very vividly. But what about you? For me, it's probably the, um, even though the Bills had some bad luck in that particular playoffs and a forward pass by the <clears> Tennessee <throat> Titans, but my favorite football game, just straight up, like incredible drama from start to finish was Tennessee and uh, the St. Louis Rams. Yes. Great. Loved yes. both quarterbacks, loved both offenses. The defenses were filled with great players. Um, it was just, it was such a battle. Like the Tennessee team, I mean, that was a tough, like violent team. Uh, Javon Curse was at the peak of his powers. And then the way that it ended, a guy reaching out to the one-yard line. I mean, you just can't ask for any more of a dramatic game with so many great players. So that, that one is my favorite that I kind of keep going back to all the time. But um, that's in part because, you know, my my dad as a Bills fan has never had a chance to cry at a Super Bowl right. victory. So right. there's, there's that part. Well, Jeremiah, great stuff, man. Um, I think it's snowing outside. You're going to have to go back outside. and We're uh, getting three more inches tomorrow. I'm not excited about it. <laughs> Good luck with that. All right. Thanks for your time. And next week we will, I mean, we'll get, we'll get hardcore. Let's and, do it. And uh, maybe Matt Stafford will be traded by then. We'll see. He's going to the Steelers. What? Really? You think so? We'll I got him going to Denver. Steelers. Roethlisberger out. He goes in there, just hucks it. Oh, man. We'll talk about it next week. That'll be next week. All right. Thanks, man. Later. Football.